0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking
1: about Season 3, Episode 13, Life Support. But before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast.
0: Absolutely, and as I say every week, you should find us to follow us, because we are awesome, and we're just going to get more awesome, and you don't want to miss that evolution to more awesome, so tune in, and we've got some good stuff coming up for you in the, in the next few days, really, as we approach uh, Thanksgiving here, so uh, especially on our YouTube channel, so you definitely want to check some of that out, and um, I will apologize now for any camera mishaps on anything that shows up on YouTube, um, I am not the most savvy with that and i make absolutely no apologies for it nor do i necessarily <laughs> attempt to get better so i'm just saying it is what it is I, I like it in its very raw unedited natural state so whatever it is there it is you can <laughs> make of that what you will right All Right. <laughs> So yes, as David has said, we are here to talk about uh, this episode, Life Support in Season 3 of Deep Space Nine. A very interesting episode, oh, I would yeah. think. Um, some things we're going to talk about for sure. Um, I know a couple of things that have been sticking out in my mind. Because um, I actually um, went back and watched this episode again. Because, you know, I, I knew it was coming up and I remembered it. But then I realized I didn't remember a lot about it. And so that always... You know, it made me wonder why, and then I watched it, and I was like, oh, that's why. Okay. So, uh, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But before we do that, as always, i like to check in for the week. Uh, so, David, how has your week been?
1: It's been good. Um, goodness. So, last week, we did, uh, I don't know if I said it on here, but did a uh, marathon of the Lord of the Rings. Did I mention that? that we yes, did a marathon? you did. Okay, that but was it, a lot of yes. fun. Um other than that, work's been good. You know, Thanksgiving is coming up, so the Black Friday sale is going on and 2 years ago Black Friday, man, I was slammed. So, uh looking forward to that cuz that means business, that means getting a good nice paycheck. Um Yeah, other than that, looking forward to Christmas and hanging out with family. My brother just got a job with Tesla as a nice. uh one of their um mechanical engineers. I don't know all that he'll be doing, but Pretty cool, you know, working for such a, you know, recognizable brand, big, big company. Um, <laughs> it was funny. We were all joking with him, or at least I was. I started it like, hey, when do I get mine? When do I get my Tesla? And uh, turns out he would have an option to, like, lease a Tesla while he works for them. But he decided that he actually wanted a truck. And, you know, te- Tesla doesn't have a truck yet. So he actually went out the same day he got the job, traded in his sedan, and got himself a truck. Um not a Tesla, but he that, needs something uh, to haul things around in. He likes woodworking and all that, so uh, that was his little present to himself for his new new job. Um, but other awesome. than that, things are pretty normal for me. Uh, how about you?
0: Um, yeah, you know, for the most part, my job has kind of stabilized a bit. So um, I was a little little nervous about some things a couple weeks ago, but it looks like you know we've jumped over that and uh, it's been smooth sailing job wise. I. Um, Uh, uh, technically I did injure myself with workouts because I was doing um I was doing squats it wasn't necessarily major it was just like I don't know anybody who's familiar with actually doing squats you know you have the bar behind your head and all that stuff and I think that in my nervousness about doing it I was gripping the bar way too tight and I was really pulling it down Mm. on my back and ended up like kind of messing up some stuff here in the back among my neck and shoulders, you know. So, I mean, not, not major. It's more of an annoyance, per se, you know, and it's just kind of this, especially since I, you know, sit for work and everything else, you you notice it. So it's just kind of been this annoying thing these past couple of days, um, but nothing that's totally like, I'm not like laid up with injury or anything. It's just like this annoyance that's there. Um, I have been... Making my way through the expanse, of course. Reading it, I am really legitimately almost done. Like I'm finally to the point where I can say, I believe I am about ninety pages out from the ending, finally, of the first book. So, guys, bear with me. I'm so sorry that it's taking me this long, but <laughs> I'm I'm finally there. The end is in sight. I should be finished this week. Um, it's been a kind of a big week for me of finishing things because I I wrapped up er finally ah. after all these times 15 15 seasons 20 to 24 episodes a season right finally done right. and um uh it was i overall i think was a great show and experience i can definitely see where things started to kind of you know drop and taper off a bit and um you know after it was done, I went back and was looking at some of the stuff about the reviews and you know why the show got cancelled and like, to me it was like why did the show get canceled, it's been on for fifteen years. That's why it got cancelled. It's it's old, you know, it's it's been going forever. But you know, they pointed to the fact that after, you know, certain characters left, you know, the ratings weren't the same. Um, you know, there's a, a ratings drop off and they tried different things to get people interested in the show. But what I noticed um to me was that they started, you know, rapid fire rotating people through the show. And, you know, you you weren't able to really stick with and learn about characters anymore. Right. They kind of just gave up on that mode, which was really the backbone of the show when it first started. Right. You were watching these, you know, these young people who had just graduated, essentially graduated from med school and were now getting their first chance at truly practicing medicine. And then you were watching them come up through everything right. and then they just kind of they they still did some of that but it was now it was everybody was fresh everybody was new there was never a really a staying story for too long right. and it just you i think they lost that bit of, of magic there right. with it um it was a nice ending i will say that because all of your like I guess I would consider them like touchstone characters, the ones who did seem to kind of make the most sense and resonate through different things. Um, they all came back in some way or another. So we did get like an ending for them mm. for individual characters. So I like that. I like that there were no true loose ends. Either the person had died or they had now moved on and they were doing practicing medicine and some other way at some of their location and they came back to do a little dedication or whatever and so we got to see that right. and then so it was a it was a good ending not a bittersweet one not a man i wish they had told me more about this character anything like none of that everybody was wrapped up that was there for the run of the show that was important okay. so i do appreciate that Ray george clooney um, i assume Oh yes, George Clooney did come oh. back in the final season. Wow. he does have a a brief guest spot that they do. It's it was an interesting the episode because it was like certain key characters that you knew, you know, they were all interacting on the same case, but didn't know they were interacting on the same case.
1: <laughs> interesting. So
0: they didn't. You never saw them interact with each other, but they were there doing the same thing, wow. trying to help a particular patient and stuff. So it was it was interesting to watch, and then like when they all found, like, they all found out that they were successful in their case, but they never found out that they were successful in regards to the other people that were working along with them. So, yeah. Interesting way to film it, and then also, I probably probably kept costs down. You know, it didn't mean anybody had to, like, be together and all that kind of stuff. So, Yeah, I mean, but it was, again, nice wrap-up. Every person that was, at least that was alive and was a favorite, was featured by the end gotcha. in the final season. Gotcha. So I appreciated that. That's something that you see in other things. Right. So, But yeah, um, school finished as well. Kids out of school until practically December, which is unheard of. So yeah, we got all that together. And uh, now we're just kind of trying to not go crazy until school starts back up for winter. Right. So. But yeah, that's pretty much been the week in a nutshell. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. So But um if you want to know more about the ER stuff or the expanse or anything, I think that what we can end up doing is like we'll do like a, another Fire Caves after dark in which we will just we'll talk about the expanse. Like what did you think of the book when you finished it, and then when I finally finished it and so forth and and kind of just have a, a brief Whatever for that. Right. So for those that are interested and who are you know who maybe started reading the books when we did, and you probably already are in book two, like David. Um, well, I'm done with book two. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Probably done with the book two and into book three, and I'm just. Oh no, I'm, I'm just I'm, I told you I'd
1: pause. I'm reading something
0: else. Okay. <laughs> and I'm I'm just slow. So now I have now not do I have to finish book one, now I got to finish book two before David can read again. Man, just all the homework. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. I'm watching the show
1: too. I've been watching like one episode the night you know so not like rushing to the show but season three of the show is still part of book two so about halfway Mm -hmm. through season three is when book two will end so uh i'm at the same point so
0: see i think that's also part of my problem like because i started reading the book and i just i was enjoying it so much i pulled the show back up and i was like then i was sucked into the show. show and i watched i binged it again until like the fourth season i was like you know what stop Go read the book. So I like watched all of it yeah. and then I was like, oh, ah yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was that was that was where I lost a lot of my time was binge watching consuming the show again. Right. So, yeah. so dumb. Yeah. So dumb for that. But um but we are not here to talk about the expanse, at least not tonight. We're not here to talk about the expanse. We're here to talk about this episode, live support for Star Trek the next generation. So, David, would you like to give the summation or do you want me to
1: I can do it. I think you did the last two, the two-parter we did, so I can do this one. Mm. All right, guys. This episode is life support, and it begins with a ship carrying Vedic Burail and Kai Winn coming to Deep Space Nine for peace negotiations for the Cardassians, but there is some sort of explosion on on the ship, on the runabout. Is it a runabout? I guess it's not a runabout. But anyway...
0: On the ship. Bashir transport. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Anyway, something happens. There's an explosion. Barile is very gravely injured. And so Dr. Bashir is in charge of taking care of him. Unfortunately, Barile ends up brain dead uh, after this explosion. Uh, so Bashir is trying to console Kira. And she's, you know, I, I got to grieve in my own way. I got to go back to work. But in the autopsy, Bashir discovers that Barile's nervous system is still active. Uh, and so he's able, through technology and all kinds of technobabble, that uh, regenerates somehow, fixes Burial, and revives him. Now, this is important, because Burial was the main contact between Wynn and the Cardassians for these negotiations. Wynn does not necessarily know all the ins and outs of all the negotiations that Burial was having with the Cardassians. So Kaiwin, is trying to do these negotiations with our Cardassian counterpart and is on her back foot the whole time. Cause she doesn't know all the ins and outs of what have already been discussed. So for example, the Cardassian says, we will pay you reparations for the war. If you will give us everything, uh, that is technically Cardassian technology, you have to return it to us. Barile uh, tells her when they talk that no, he already agreed not to do that. Um, this is important because, Barile is still very gravely uh, injured and he's still uh, possibly going to die. However, because he is so necessary to these negotiations, he won't let Dr. Bashir put him in stasis in order for Dr. Bashir to, to take the time to discover a true remedy for his damage from that explosion. Now, this is important because Burial, or, uh, Bashir tells Barile that he has found a very dangerous drug that could keep him alive or keep him awake and not in stasis, but could have the potential of backfiring and leading him to dying much earlier. It would cause his organs to, to break down uh, more than they already are. And unfortunately that does happen Uh, as Kai Win keeps coming back to Beryl and asking him, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And he keeps giving her answers. He keeps getting stressed out by the need to constantly be awake and uh, ready to tell her what to do, that his organs start to fail. And so Burial, uh, sorry, Bashir has to replace some of Barayal's organs with, uh, I guess they're artificial ones, but he has to do these surgeries to replace the uh, Barayal's internal organs. Unfortunately, it comes to the point where Barayal's brain is again damaged to the point where he falls unconscious again. And so Bashir has to, place a positronic matrix in the damaged half of Beryl's brain, which causes him to basically wake up as a kind of a new person. His, half of his brain has been replaced, which means that he's more wooden. He doesn't really interact with Kira in the same way. He's technically able to be awake, but he's not the same man anymore. And so Kai Win, having pushed Beryl to basically to the breaking point, Bashir comes to her and says, I want you to lie to Beryl and tell him you don't need him anymore in order for him to, mm-hmm. to live. I mean, he's, he's dying, and I think he does it actually before the brain surgery, but point is taken. Um, and he accuses Kai Wen of trying to keep Beryl alive so that if the negotiations fail, she has a fall guy. She can blame Beryl for the failure of the, the talks. Um, it's not so much that she's afraid to do these talks on her own and therefore be successful. It's not like she doesn't want to just take credit for the for the successful negotiations. It's that she needs someone to blame if things go badly, which she's always afraid of. That's the type of person she is. Um, so Barail, unfortunately, is very brain damaged, and ultimately his brain completely deteriorates, and Bashir refuses Kira's request to replace the rest of his brain. Uh, fortunately, the negotiations are successful, but by this point, Beryl, his life is over. He's not going to be able to recover. If he were to be, have the rest of his brain replaced, uh, Bashir points out that the man would no longer truly exist. The spark of life would be gone. And so he says that we should let Beryl die. When having achieved her Cardassian uh, negotiation, is now willing to let him die as well. You know, obviously she doesn't need him anymore. And so Kira ends the episode at Burrell's bedside as he is about to die. Over the next couple of hours, he's unconscious, and she starts kind of talking to him and recounting why she fell in love with him. As the episode ends, uh, the side plot of this episode is that Jake is uh, dating, or is about, is, is dating another young lady. Uh, she actually comes to him and asks him to dinner. Um, he had plans with Nog. When Nog finds out that Jake is going on a date, he assumes that that means that Jake has gotten him a date as well. And so Nog, at this four-person double date, is very rude to the young ladies, treating them as Frankie men, treat Frankie women in a very dismissive and uh, puts them down publicly. And so it ends badly. And Jake um, eventually reconciles his relationship with Nog by basically saying, look, we can be friends, but when it comes to dating, we're going to have to do our own thing, our own separate ways. And uh, yeah, that's the the second plot, excuse me, of, of the story. Anything you'd like to uh, bring up there, Perry?
0: No, that is essentially it. You are correct. And um, we're, we're going to get into it, as we always do. Um, but um, before we do, and of course, this is important to our episode, do a little bit of our favorite recurring bit here of Uh, the 90s Mm. and actually this episode provided us with our great 90s moment here and that is with the uh, character of Leanne played by Lark Voorhees which you might have recognized her or at least when you're watching it thought she seems familiar and maybe you didn't realize where but um, she is none other than Lisa Turtle from Saved by the Bell so right there smack in the middle or not middle of the 90s but pretty much all of the early 90s she was one of the popular rising stars on um that that sitcom or comedy show whatever you want to call it you know um and so yeah she's our she's our 90s bit so you could have gotten up in the morning watched saved by the bell gone to school had a great time and then when you were at home you would have turned on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and saw her there too. So you would have got both. <laughs> yeah. Se- seen her in, the, seen her in the, I guess, the past, present, however you want to look at it, and then you would have seen her in the future. Right. So, So, um, now I will say, I think that she looked better on Deep Space Nine than she did oh, yeah. in the, the episodes of Saved by the Bell that, you know, when I was looking through all of this and I saw that, I was like, yeah, I mean, and I guess that's a that was the point they were really trying to make them look very high schoolish you know and then here on this one not so much we know that she's a teenager obviously she's interested in Jake um and then you know there she's just a very nice looking woman who comes up to him and is talking with him and everything else so very appropriate right. i guess i should say compared to the kind of kiddish look they had with her on uh, saved by the bell gotcha um yeah, but yeah, I, I
1: was just gonna say I really Go liked ahead. her. I mean, we only saw her briefly. Unfortunately, things end badly because of Dog's behavior in this episode. Yeah. But as soon as I yeah. saw her, yeah, very lovely young lady, and I was like, oh, I like her more. She seems more suited to Jake than the Cabo uh, yeah. girl. Uh, and I like yeah. the little, you know, she was like, oh, I was dating this other guy, but we just broke up, and I'm gonna ask you to dinner. Uh, it felt very authentic and genuine. Um, she liked him. He liked her back. Uh, he reciprocated and, you know, it gives us a chance to learn, you know, or for Jake to learn that if you have plans with friends and you change plans, you gotta know what's going on. You gotta be open and honest and upfront with those changes. Sometimes if there's a young lady you're going on a date with, I'm sorry, Nog. I didn't, I, it's just going to be me and her. She asked me, uh, just today. Mm -hmm. Um, I know our plans hadn't yet been finalized, so I decided to do that. Because uh, she just asked me. Instead of him doing that, you know, Nog says, Oh, that's fine. I'm sure you h- had her yeah. bring a friend for me, right? And instead of Jake standing yeah. up to him and being like, No, actually, this is going to be just a private moment for me and her, um, it backfires really bad on him because Nog, oh my goodness, he is so yeah, I was misogynistic. And that's, of course, Frank <laughs> culture, but
0: yeah i was gonna say the the true issue here is that Jake didn't stand up to his friend and that and Nog insisted on coming yeah. he 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 pushed himself into that um engagement interaction that date you know because he even says you know when they first start talking about it you know he's like oh and what's her friend like he's like i don't i don't know and he's like oh well you're gonna ask her right he leads jake along and that jake doesn't put his foot down and say hey look no this is this is and then now we you know have this cultural conflict where we to us as as humans, you know we treat our partners a certain way, or at least ideally we're supposed to anyway, <laughs> and then we see the Ferengi mindset where it's completely different from then from how we would want to treat our our dates, our partners, whomever they are, right, right? and um you know watching him be so rude and you know dismissive and condescending to her and insulting and so forth it's so jarring uh, for everybody watching it you know and it's just like How could these two possibly, you know, have been friends? They clearly have nothing in common. They're clearly different in how they were were raised and brought up. And it's a great episode for the fact that it highlights a very stark cultural difference between humans and Ferengi. And just, it reminds us that, you know, we are dealing with multiple different cultures. It's not just humans. It's not just, whomever. there's so many different cultures like that young woman that is Leanne's friend. Who comes to the dinner, she's another race entirely. Like, I don't even think they mentioned what she is, right. you know, but she's another race entirely. So, we don't know what her, you know, cultural customs are regarding dating or anything like that. We can assume that because she's Leanne's friend and because she has such a similar reaction to Nog's antics, that it was, it's more in line with ours, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. Right. And, um, you know, when Jake is then telling, you know, Cisco, about what happened and the issues that he had Ben's reaction is priceless. Cause he's like, it sounds like he was being a typical Ferengi right. and he's kind of like shining a light for his son to realize, yeah, you know, you guys, you're friends, but you're still different. You can be friends, but you are different. Right. You are going to have cultural differences. And that doesn't mean you can't be friends. It just means you need to both learn to appreciate and understand your differences right. and move on yeah and i i loved it i loved every single bit of that
1: yeah that scene again the cisco's together having dinner father son moment great scene and again it's avery brooks who's killing it because um in the middle of the scene you know jake is like well we can't be friends and you know even you said that daddy once said that humans and frankie can't be friends and cisco is like Oh crap! <laughs> like I did say that, and he says I right. did say that, and I was wrong. You've proved me wrong, right? Um, which is a great moment. Another one of those, like yeah. He, as a dad, as anybody, you need to be willing to say I was wrong. And I know in our, it's it's yes. always hard to say I'm wrong, and for 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 Cisco to do it with like, I mean, he just did it. He just said it. Yeah, I was wrong. He just did it. it was uh, it was
0: natural. Yeah, he yeah. was he was dealing with his son. He knew it was very important, and, you know, and he was very very candid, very honest with his son right in that moment he's like, "Yes, I did say that, but I was wrong. You guys proved me wrong. I have, you know, basically telling him, you know, I've watched you all. You you have developed a true friendship uh despite anything that I could have said or done. And we all know he's tried. He did not want Jake associating with nog at all and when they were first <laughs> hanging out and getting in trouble and everything else he was trying to stop that as much as he could yeah. but they still yeah. form this friendship so he's openly acknowledging that his son has done this thing you know in spite of everything else and then yeah. he's just telling them you know it's up to you if you want the friendship to continue you're going to have to figure out a way to you know in a sense get over yourself you know it's not just about getting over you know the the issues with with nog and everything else, getting over yourself and thinking that you're right, you know, because neither one of you really are, right. you know. Um, there's a lot that goes on here in this little brief scene, and then of course the nice way that, uh, or I guess not nice, but funny way that Jake solves their problem right. by having a very stern Odo <laughs> arrest both of them. And <laughs> I just, up I just have to believe you're right. I just have to believe that he he thoroughly enjoyed oh, that yeah. that Odo in universe. He loved the idea, maybe not so much for Jake, but for Nog who again when we first when we first meet Nog, he was already in trouble. He was being chased by Odo then when we first met Nog and Odo because um they were Odo, or not Odo, but Nog was serving as lookout for another alien to break into a shop, and Odo catches him. So I just have to believe that that just gave him some delight to <laughs> round this kid up and toss him into the cell yeah. and tell him nothing. Yeah. He's like, you know, just whatever. Yeah. Tell it to the it, magistrate the, and just the, the locks manager. the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell it to the, yeah.
1: That, was, that was a great little moment. And <laughs> it's also funny because Nog figures out, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. There's
0: something right. wrong here. <laughs> I love it. He's like, yeah, my dad said that he would send me back to Verenginar if I got in trouble again. And where's my uncle? And wait a minute. You're the station commander's son. There's no way he would arrest you without charges. And there can be charges because I know we didn't do anything. So it's just like, he, he's great at the way he figures it out. But I i love the way he figures it out because it's all based on the fact that like he knows he would be in a lot more trouble. Like that's the that's the best part because yeah. he's just he's backtracking from being in trouble, not from a like how we would do it where it's or well I assume we would do it where it's like I know that I'm innocent and I'm just gonna wait for this thing to prove out. And like that's why Jake is so calm, right. you know, because obviously because Jake's also in it, but he's like, nope, I've been in trouble before. I already knew what my limits yeah. are because I was towing them already. Right. So now let's backtrack from there because I know I haven't done anything. Right. So yeah. yeah. Great little moment between the two of them, and then finally coming to terms with the fact that you know, again recognizing they're different people um, from different cultures, but they still care about each other. They can still be friends, but there are just certain things they're going to have to agree that they will never share. Right. That they will never be able to cross the line right. on. You know?
1: Yeah, I guess part of the question about that, and I know you've said that we'll go to the we'll see Ferengi culture and and how they treat the women a little more closely at some point. But it does make you wonder, mm-hmm. on some level, how much is this culture learned? You know, has Nog just learned this is how we treat our women? Therefore, this is how I treat all women because we've seen obviously Quark interact with women, um, in the bar, and he, he's, he's misogynistic, but he's more of the flirtatious um, type. Yeah. He's not quite, he's not as obvious as, as as Nog is here. Nog is like, like, why are the women even well, talking? You know, that kind
0: of thing. Well, I always took it as there's a certain amount of this that is definitely learned behavior from being on their home planet. And then, you know, Nog is young and he's growing up and he's watching and learning, as we all do, from the people who are older than us right. and are going through things. And one thing that we can certainly say about Quark is that he tailors his. Um, interactions his performance i guess to whomever it is that he's talking to so yeah well there's always that kind of mid-level sleaze to everything that he does he certainly knows when there are some people he can be more you know misogynistic more condescending to than others and i mean he's talked about often you know how dealing with you know humans as they call us you know and dealing with this federation types in particular you have to talk to him, you have to handle him a certain way, otherwise you don't get anything from him. And he's all about scoring the deal. Right. So and that's what makes him such a successful business person. I think that what we're seeing here in Nog is someone who, obviously there was a lot of things he learned and watched growing up on their home planet, and now he just kind of is able to kind of, sort of come into his own a bit. Right. He hasn't quite got there yet, and he's still kind of putting things together and explains why he fails when dealing with Humans, Because really the only human he's had any close contact with is Jake. Right. And he can relate to Jake because Jake is male. Right. So dealing with females is not his strong suit, yeah. despite everything that he says. Right. So, yeah, a great kind of growing up moment for both Jake and Nog right. here. And um, I think it's great because we're going to see how this also highlights Nog later on in the show. Um So... Stay tuned for that, everybody who hasn't watched it yet. This show that's thirty years old, <laughs> um, but yeah, great, great little B story. In fact, this is to me, this is one of those moments. Like I love, I've said this before. I love those little like aside world building things. You know, this is a great one. It shows a lot of character development for Cisco, for Nog, for Jake. You know, um, and a lot of that we haven't gotten yet. They haven't been featured so much in this in this uh, show. I almost wish that this was the whole episode, you know? I wish, that, or at least there was more to this story. Maybe we see this in another episode, you know, developed a little bit more, the same kind of storyline. But we don't really see them return to this particular dynamic of the cultural differences um, as much. Right. So I kind of wish this was the whole episode because I feel like it's important to, again, not just highlight the difference between Jake and Nog, but to highlight that there's a lot of different cultures out there and that's kind of the thing that Starfleet is doing is finding ways to relate to all of them. I think we just kind of forget that because everybody just seems to easily get along. Right. So things that would remind us, I think, are really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But now we can turn ourselves, I guess, to what would be considered the a story. Pretty big a story. Um, and that is of course a pretty big a story, but it, again, like I said, I, I couldn't remember a whole lot about this episode at first. Mm-hmm. So then when I rewatched it, I re- I realized why. You hate Kai Wynn. It's very, no, it's Burial. I don't like Barial. <laughs> I just I just don't like him. Yeah. I I understand his his significance. I I understand how he works in the show and and why he was necessary and why even his death was necessary. I get all of it, but it's just like I don't like him. Right. So it's not one that I had watched frequently. You know, it's simply one that oh, Barile episode, click. And I'm sorry. I know there are so many people out there who loved Vedic Barile and were sad when he died and and all of that. Right. And um, I don't have anything against uh, the actor who played uh, Vedic Barayal, uh but I, I I don't like him. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Philip Angelum. I think that's how you pronounce your last name. The guy who played. Uh, vedic Braille. um uh, sorry I just didn't like that character you were great as Macbeth and other stuff but I didn't like you here <laughs> sorry
1: yeah <laughs> so, I have to agree with you i I haven't liked the character all that much that we've talked about in the past but this was in my opinion his best episode this was the episode for I will to give go you that on. yeah I
0: will give you that that it was a great episode for him to go out right. on um yes there was a great Braille episode for that right. but yeah 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 and absolutely so
1: I I really want to kind of get into that, because um, the the reason Barile for me has been frustrating is because he's been, frankly, a bit of a pushover in a lot of ways. Um, it feels mm-hmm. like, and, and even in this episode, it kind of goes into it. The whole give yourself over to the prophets. It's like, ugh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. it's in. I mean, as someone who is religious, that it's it's very easy to like, oh yeah, just you know, trust in the Lord, trust. Trust things will work out. Uh and that comes out here at times in this episode and it, it makes you want to gag. You're like, take some initiative. You know, you know, you can't just always just, you know, throw your hands up and say, ah, oh, I'm just gonna let things happen. Or, you know, all things are the will of the prophets, all things are God's will. Well, I mean, Christian morality and, and theology is, is deeper than that. I I mean the show is not giving us a real deep religious understanding but it at times when you see that you're like i mean come on you know like let's well, let's be again initiate some things but sorry go ahead
0: no I'm just gonna say i want i want to speak to what you just said about that you know how it's religion is deeper than what they're showing here right. that was entirely intentional right. um this was the first time that Star trek or really any sci-fi franchise that I could think of really tried to tackle establishing a religion with hardcore tenets right. and then display it on television right. and knowing full well that they were going to get, you know, all kinds of pushback and backlash and whatever else from people of numerous faiths. Right. They, they tried to keep this as, as broad and surface level only as possible. Because if you tried to go too deep and tried to nail certain things down, then they would have no choice but to base it off of their own knowledge of various religions and so when you start picking and pulling and whatever else you're going to get things wrong so by by keeping it at this surface level they skipped over really kind of having to do that deep dive and so i think that it's interesting that you pointed out that one of the things that bothers you is the very thing that they really had to stick to in order to make sure that they didn't receive the backlash that you're now leveling at them so that's that's funny nice little catch 22 there they tried so hard and still
1: Yeah, no, to be fair, that, that makes sense. They they were—they're not—I mean, to be very clear, religious beliefs in the real world are a, you know, theory of everything belief system. I mean, Christianity doesn't just doesn't just morality. It's like, how did the world come to be? Why are we here? That kind of thing. So if they're just trying to give us a, a show that doesn't really have the time, quite frankly, to get into all the details, even if they tried to, they would still offend someone. So yeah, any tip they would make would— not be perfect, or at least someone can get upset. My point is, is that Barile in particular seems to embody some of the more laissez-faire, go with the flow, things are the way they are type mentality, which makes his character not as compelling as what I want him to be. And then this episode told us that actually in the background, he actually has been active. He's been you know working with the Cardassians. He's been negotiating. In fact, not only has he been negotiating, but he initiated the negotiations and, He's been a good aide to Kai Win. She actually appreciates him, even though they were rivals for the, the Kai ship or whatever. Um, she's actually incompetent without his presence. And um, he is a man who's willing to give up his life in order to success, successfully negotiate these uh, treaties. Um, and so he actually becomes that fuller figure that we've I've wanted, I think we both would say we've wanted, uh, so far. He's not just... Uh, you know, uh, Kara's, uh, you know, arm candy. Um, Even the end of the episode, when she's saying why I fell in love with you is because you were a man who was just as confused as the rest of us, but you were willing to like be okay with that. Uh, That's why I fell in love with you. Um, Even that was, was more touching than I feel like a lot of other things about him have been. Yeah.
0: At least that we have seen. And you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. Like as I I know that I said the last time when we were actually first introduced to this character, Vedic Brial. I said that, you know, he feels like a character that would have fit in better with a storyline in the next generation. You know, he would have worked better with Picard and company and their and the way in which they kind of had this strict procedure of doing things and Picard kind of straddling this moral line and having this religious figure who is always so placid basically would have would have made more sense as a a person that Picard would have had to deal with. Right. And then they would have just been able to have these gentle talks or whatever and, and reach a conclusion that would have worked for everybody that would have made more sense. The character that they were describing, like you said, the background character, the guy who took the initiative, who was leading the charge on having these meetings with the Cardassians and negotiating, all these different, you know, rules and who's going to pay for what and who's giving back what and all that kind of stuff and the the well, gumption that it would have taken to be that kind of person and and do that, that's the character that we should have seen in Burial and it's actually the character that we did see in Lee Knollis who died, you know, in in season Ah. two. Like, that was that's who Burial should have been or at least should have more closely resembled yes. and I mean it would have been an interesting facet to add to a character who is a religious person who is in a devout religious order he's a Vedic yeah. and yet he does have this very passionate tactile mindset who's getting out there and leading the charge and doing these things right. you know um, and doing positive things positive work especially considering what we saw of Wynn up to this point too and how scheming and ambitious and underhanded she was to have somebody who was equally as ambitious, but doing positive works would have been great. And especially when we would have seen Kai or not Kai, but seen Wen ascend to the Kai appointment and know that there is truly a better person who should have got the role, right. but didn't. Yeah. And yet is still continuing to do the great works. It would have made for much more of a compelling character yeah. of a compelling storyline and would have made it, made me want Borio to stick around more. Yes. And we just didn't get that. Yeah. We did not get yeah, that.
1: Yeah. It's too bad that it was his death episode, the episode where he dies, that we finally got to see that character kind of stand out uh, more. Right. Um, and I, I want to just quickly say that that is actually kind of personal for me. The idea that he is someone who is willing to work for someone that he was antagonistic with, that he uh, had conflict with, that they had both been up for the same job, you know, being Kai. Um, there was a um, years ago, obviously, but it was back during the Obama administration. Uh, there was a I was at a church function, and one of the elders of the church was up speaking about something, and it was talk some. I don't know why it was up, but it was one of the passages about you know obey the authorities. And at some point in what he was saying, he was saying, "I kind of had to wrestle with that because I don't like Barack Obama. I don't like him as president, but I have to like you know my." beliefs tell me that I need to respect authorities and he needs to get over that. And my point is is that in the moment, I was disappointed that this man, who's supposed to be an elder at my church, was, like, having to, like, publicly wrestle with that, as opposed to, like, he's already kind of reconciled that. He's already working that out. He's already, even if he doesn't like the president, whoever it is, like he's already knows that. He's already at peace with that. Vedic Burial is already that. In this episode, he's already working for Kai Win. He's already a good age. She says she depends on him and it makes you love the guy on some level. Like this is a guy who's humble enough to to do the job. And we've seen that we get the sense that he is this humble guy, that he's this person who's willing to do what's right. Not because it makes him popular um, Mm -hmm. or gets him pop, uh, makes him, you know, get some glory. In fact, he was even willing to do something, um, to protect the uh, reputation of Kai Opaka, a couple episodes ago, we thought right. he was a traitor. It turns out he was holding, uh, he was protecting the reputation of Kai Opaka. Um, so then, I what, what I'm trying to get at is the character had potential but they didn't really get yeah. a chance. I mean, it wasn't until this episode that they really gave it a chance to flourish and go for it, and then he dies.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So. We we get a lot about him, and then he dies. And, you know, on the other side of what you were saying, um, you know, about loving the guy for being able to work with Kai Wynn, I think we also, as much as I hate to do it, we have to give Kai Wen some respect, too, for being able to put down her own animosity towards this individual who very nearly took her job and work with him and then not only to work with him, but to see his value and how much she was truly going to need him and, you know, wasn't competent. Now, We do see later on, you know, she kind of reveals a little bit there that it was a double-edged thing there where she was kind of keeping him in her side pocket just in case things went south. She would have a scapegoat to kind of lay everything on. But up until that particular moment, and we have to, you know, still have to acknowledge, they had been working together for quite some time before this bombing had happened. So, you know, and that is something that I would love to see in more of our own leader. Yes. I think we see it a little too often. That's exactly often. what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah, I just think we see a little too often in our leadership, especially once they win, yeah. they want to try to cut out the people that were running against them or that otherwise opposed them. And I mean, there may be some people who you do just legitimately have to cut out. Right. But there are a lot of people who just because they're on the other side of the aisle from you yeah. doesn't mean that they don't have great ideas, right. doesn't mean that they can't still work hard and contribute, exactly. doesn't mean that they're not still of value. Right. And if you're not willing to reach out to them and bring Bring them in and work with you. We're never going to get anything accomplished. That's exactly
1: and- right. And I, I totally agree with that. I, I yeah. It is so frustrating that our modern politics has turned into this animosity and partisanship where you, you're you not allowed yeah. to even be friends with people on the other side of the aisle. And it's like – or, or yeah. like work with someone. Like Let me put it this way. The reason I was frustrated with that elder of mine, I was like, if the president of the United States, whoever he is – came to you and said, I need you to give me my very best, not for my sake, but for the be- behalf of your fellow Americans. I need you to give me your best. Well, goddamn, if you aren't the kind of person who doesn't – you'll get a little bit of pride and stand up a little taller and say, you know what, You're, I'm going to do my best, then there's something wrong with you. And that's what I was kind of frustrated with that elder of mine. It yeah. felt like he had lost track of that you know, that ability to yeah. like recognize that sometimes personal sacrifice – is actually a great thing. It gives you a feeling of, you know, pride and honor. And and, um, you put me onto the show West Wing, uh, the West Wing. Yes. Uh, And there's a great example of that from the last season. I forget the name of the character, but he becomes president in the last season. Do you remember who that is? Um, Santos. Yes. And his rival, the Republican, played by –
0: Vinnick was played by Alan the guy Alda, from Mass. Alan Alda. Alan Alda. Yeah, he mm. um
1: he goes to Alan Alda's character and says, "Look, I need a, sec- a secretary of state. You and I never really had many major disagreements on issues that the secretary of state would handle. I want you to be the guy." And he's, you know, Alan Alda's uh, Republican presidential failed candidate is like, "Are you got to be kidding me? Are you serious? This feels like a handout. I feel insulted by you even doing this." And then um, again, I can't remember the, the character's name who becomes president, but he's brilliant. Santos. Yeah, Santos played
0: by uh, Smith. Okay. Jimmy. It sounds about. It sounds right. His name.
1: Um, But anyway, yeah. he, he gets him into it because he starts just bringing up you know Secretary of State issues like oh there's this you know this war that's happening over in you know Middle Asia Central mm-hmm. Asia like what would you do? And Alan Alda's character instead of objecting is fascinated by the issue and is like well we got to do this we got to do that. And so he gets sucked into um, the role, and he does it. He he's like, I I I want to be able to disagree with you on certain things, and he's like, I don't expect anything less. And it's a great moment. It's a great scene. It's like it's exactly what it's a, you it want. is. A great scene. Uh, and, and it's it's an idealized it's, version it's, of the world, but oh it's, yeah, it's one of those moments where you go away. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the show was so beloved because you felt like yeah, working out issues was part of how the show uh, really works.
0: They actually. They actually did that several seasons earlier. Now that we're on the West Wing, I'm going to take you down the rabbit Hole real quick because it was one of my favorite scenes. Um, And it's where uh, the episode starts with Sam Seaborn is on a talk show and he is debating various points about one of the president's news bills and they bring on this... Young blonde woman who's supposed to, you know, just by appearance alone, really rattle Seaborn, and it's uh, the character's name is Ainsley Hayes, so and much. she completely, <laughs> she completely just destroys him. She bodies him in, in, in her television, first intro yes. on national television, which leads to Sam being ridiculed all day long right and so it also leads to the chief of staff leo mcgarry inviting Ainsley haynes to the white house where he offers her a job a job which she initially turns down because she's like i don't want to work in this white house because she's a republican and they're obviously democrat and she doesn't want to work with them she leaves and goes to have like drinks or something with some friends and the friends are celebrating the way she just again just toasted uh Sam yes. on TV right. you know embarrassed embarrassed and, and they're just going to town on how they're just some no account democratic whatever's and just just, just tearing them down like the whole the whole staff right, right? And she's just sitting there very silent, and then she finally interjects, and she's like, don't talk about them that way. She's like, you may disagree with their politics, you may disagree with this and that, but you cannot say that they are not hardworking people who want to do well, who are trying to do well for everybody, and they may not get it right every time, but they're still trying. Like She goes through this whole thing, and then she comes back and takes the job and ends up working in the Democratic White House as a... um,
1: as a legal assistant, I think she's a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say she's because like a she's like another
0: lawyer for them or the something whole, like that. Uh,
1: Pirates of Penzance quotes with the the, the uh, attorney general character,
0: Lionel Tribby. Yeah, Lionel Tribby the, the main lawyer. He's yes,
1: yelling out something about um, she's a Republican. Like he can't stand it. You know, he's a you know dyed blue liberal. Here's this you know conservative girl on his team. He has to take her on, but then he also has to defend her at one point because there are some people that yeah,
0: because. Some some two some two guys like wrote a message to her. They wrote "bitch" to her on right. like a, I don't know what like was it some some box or flowers yeah. or something like that. That's what they sent her flowers, and that's what they wrote on the flowers. Right. Sam found it, charged into the office. He scrawled out "you're fired." They were like, "You can't fire us." And
1: triby was in. like,
0: "Oh yes, he can. Yeah. Get your stuff. Get, get out." out. Yeah. You know. So yeah, even though he was against this, you know, conservative blonde haired blue blue-eyed, dyed-in-the-wool Republican working in his office, he defended her and then obviously kept her on, yeah. kept her on staff, yeah. and she stayed she was there a great for quite some time. So,
1: I mean, as a conservative myself, yeah. every time she was on screen, I was like, "Please more, please more." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have to admit that I was a Sam Seaborn fan. He was my favorite. Uh, him and Toby Ziegler were my two favorite. Oh, the two
1: of so them so. could rant uh, like Ziegler, in particular, could rant like no one's business. Yeah.
0: Toby was my favorite when he got his little high horse yeah. and just to charge. Yeah. <laughs> so now that we've talked about yet another show, right, yeah. back to <laughs> and, and not D-face this D-face one back to, back to the future. Um, yeah, but I, again, I'll give Win credit for that. And I wish that more of our own politicians would do uh, similar things. And right. I don't know if we'll ever see it, right. but, uh, it would be nice. Right. Um, but now let's, you know, we're moving along and we got to talk about, of course, the replacing of the organs and the brain matter in order to keep him alive. Right. Of course, you know, this is something that, you know, we're starting to do a little bit in our own, you know, science. We've got, you know, replacement parts and organs and stuff. Where I don't think we have, like, replacement brain pieces Oh, yet. no, not that. Of but, course, um, but, yeah, you can, you you know, can get but we've
1: replacement got, hearts or at least...
0: Yeah, pace replacement maker, hearts, so. you've got pacemakers, you've got replacement limbs, you can do replacement joints, you can do a lot of these things. So there is a term for this, and I was trying to find it, and I was trying to remember it, and maybe you can tell me. It's a term for when you continue to replace the parts, but the overall structure or the outer packaging is the same. It, like, there's a there's a philosophy behind it, like, whether or not the thing is still the yeah, same. the... the... If you keep replacing Yeah, the, um, the original
1: philosophical question was, if you have a, 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 a boat, a ship, a wooden ship in a museum, and you keep replacing parts of the ship to the point where you've replaced every part on the ship, is the ship the is same ship? Is it still ship, the same ship? Or is it right. old pieces that have gone off? Like, if you rebuilt the ship with the old pieces somewhere else, what's the real ship? Um, right. Yeah, it's...
0: I forget what that term is. Yeah. I know I, I've it's been brought up before and it's also been brought up before in star trek in particular in regards to the enterprise right. when with the original crew you know there was the whole the original enterprise and then there's the refit enterprise and a lot of people who feel like the refit is not the enterprise anymore because it's it's been completely remodeled it looks different whatever but the overall structure shape and whatever else is the same so that that's where that argument comes up in in trek a lot and i think we can apply it here as well since that's what bashir is essentially arguing he's saying you know yes i can replace his pieces and keep him alive but after a while that kind of that spark spark of of life what we kind of know as consciousness and his feeling and his emotion and so forth will be gone he will have the memories but he won't have the the essence of those memories and it reminded me also of uh the measure of a man episode from the next generation where we were arguing over data and data's rights and that's what he was telling maddox is that you know because maddox was saying i have created a positronic brain we will download data into this while i can study him to make more of him and data was like if you there's something about the ineffable quality of memory, I believe is what he says, and if you lose that, something will be lost forever, right. and I can't allow you to do that. And that was kind of the basis of the argument as to whether or not data could um, refuse right. Maddox's procedure or not. Right. Um, so a lot of different things linked together, all in these moments about whether or not we're going to um, replace Barile's brain entirely with this positronic matrix that um yeah that has, i think um or that she have
1: an answer i think in the real world of what part of the brain is kind of the person the, the prefrontal cortex the part right up near the front of your head right behind your forehead is apparently the part where a lot of our emotions and things occur uh, people who have had their brains damaged up in the front you can actually live with parts of your brain removed up front but people who have had their brains damaged in the prefrontal cortex um, have become psychopaths. They've 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 lost emotional capabilities. They've they've, they've part of them is missing, um, while other parts of our brain might be more essential for function. The humanity is apparently the prefrontal cortex. Now, again, I'm no expert. I'm just talking about what I remember. But point being is that if Bashir... David not
0: in some ER episodes, too. I was going to say,
1: actually, we need to, we, I'm sure your ER uh, experience will actually tell us what you think about this episode, but before you get to that, um, yeah, if, if yes. the back of his brain or the parts that like controlled his motor functions needed to be replaced, frankly, that would make sense on some level, but the, mm-hmm. the episode indicates that part of what was changed was who he is as a person, and we kind of see that when he comes out of that you know, positronic matrix surgery, he's more wooden. He says that, you know, touching Kira is like say like being in a dream. The memory of a touch. Yeah, memory of a touch. He says
0: it's the memory of a touch. (laughs) Yeah. So Yeah, so um and and that was and again that's what Bashir argues is that, you know, the first part of what he replaced was absolutely necessary. There was no way he was going to survive without it. But if they were to continue to do this, then eventually, yes, they would replace all of his brain, and then he would not have anything. Um, now, the one thing that did stand out to me that obviously was my ER connection was when Borile died, right, and he went to go and tell Kira that he had died, and then he comes back in and, you know, he's got the glowing green light on him because that's supposed to represent that he's in the stasis field. Right. And then they're going to start the autopsy, and as he's doing the brain scan, the, the neurons, firing. he sees them firing and stuff. And um, the nurse says to him, he's like, because was like, I think we can, revive him. we can save him, we can revive him. And the nurse says, yeah, but he's been you know, what about what about brain damage there 's been no oxygen to the brain for forty minutes and and she and he says, yeah, but he's been in stasis the whole time, so I did not know this, but I did end up looking this up as I was going through things in in my e r rewatch but apparently, the longest that the human brain that we know of can survive without oxygen and there be no brain damage is forty minutes and that was kind of a recurring theme on the show was whenever somebody would You know, suddenly go into cardiac arrest or their blood would stop pumping for some reason and they're doing the emergency, um, um, you know, CPR and stuff like that. That's what they were doing. And that's what you're doing when you're giving someone CPR. You're not so much trying to restart their heart as you are making blood continue to pump and bring oxygen to the brain. So the longer the brain goes without oxygen, the more likely that person is to have brain damage should they recover. And then once you pass that 40 minute mark, then it's just like you might as well stop because there there's not even if you were to get the heart restarted the brain has been so long long deprived of oxygen that it's never going to function normally again so so there's that so yeah so when he says that i mean that was that was the one thing that i was like okay i i know that much from medical that 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 makes sense but yeah um then when he was talking, you know, they're talking about replacing parts and, and various pieces and things like that. I just began wondering, you know, about, yeah, blood flow. How would that work with the positronic brain? Right. And, of course, we've heard positronic brain so much. If you watch Next Generation at all, we know that Data has a positronic brain. Right. Which I thought was interesting in the way that Burial started to act after they woke him up the first time, he was, like you said, he, he seemed very wooden. He seemed very cold. He was emotionless. And I was like, he's he's Data. Right. He's acting, I mean, not precisely Data, right. of course, yeah. but he's acting more like that, yeah. you know, lack of emotion, whatever um, you want to call that, in that moment. And I was like, that's what you're going to end up having, Data in human flesh, right. or in Bajoran flesh, right. if they had fully replaced his brain. Right,
1: which is kind of funny because in the ep- the movie what the uh, the generations film uh data gets the emotion chip kind of permanently mm-hmm. implanted in his positronic brain and it causes him to experience some some issues uh, so this is kind of the flip of that in mm-hmm. some ways so
0: yeah he begins to experience a wide range of emotions that he has to learn to control on the fly with mixed success and if you remember in that Episode, since you were talking about, you know, prefrontal cortex and where that's located in our brains. If you remember in that movie, not episode, when they were installing the emotion chip, where did they put it? Right there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> in the uh, front of his head, in the front of Data's yeah. head. So I guess that was his equivalent of the uh, prefrontal <laughs> cortex there. Right. I, I like the little, you know, I guess you could think of that as like a wink and a nod to, you know, what we know of right. brain layout. Or maybe, you know, Noonie and Sung was just a freaking genius and <laughs> yeah. thought it would have been real clever to design the positronic brain to mirror the yeah. um, actual human brain right. on some level. Yeah. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Um, the other thing uh, I, you've already said, I want to go back to it real quick. I also agree that yeah. Win was a great character this episode, because when she first comes on the station, she does seem like a changed person. Like being the Kai has made her more gentle, more understanding. You know, she's achieved mm-hmm. her great ambition. Therefore she doesn't have to worry about things anymore. But the stress of everything happening makes her fall back on old patterns. Um, when Bashir accuses yes. her of using Bashir as a fall guy, we can believe that that's part of her reasoning. We have seen her be a bit reckless with Borile's life. She needs him to be awake, so dang it, why can't we just give him some drugs and wake him up? You know, not very understanding, mm-hmm. not very. You know, she's not the – you'd think as a Kai, she would be very um, understanding, very calm, patient, all that. And instead, she's like, no, I need him now. Um, and when Barail tells oh, – I'm sorry, when Bashir tells her, I think you're a coward, she says to him, I will not forget what happened here. And he says, neither will I. And we've seen her do that before. She said to Kira a couple yes. of episodes. You know, I think it was in season two. She just said the same thing to Kira as well of uh, I will not forget what just happened here um so kai Kai Wynn seemed to make some improvements at the beginning of this episode but by the end seems to have fallen back on old patterns which was actually fun to see that the character is still nuanced she hasn't just you know hit the the switch and you know her personality has changed no that that devious personality is still under there despite everything going on yeah
0: Yeah, because this is the first time that we see her as Kai Wynn, who's like fully in the office. The last time we saw her was at the kind of, I think it was like the induction ceremony. We we hadn't really seen her doing anything. This is her first time now she's exerting the authority and control of the office. She's she's in that mode. And, I mean, maybe that's why she's doing, like, we see that, uh, her falling back on old habits old patterns because she's nervous and she's clearly nervous because she's dealing with the Cardassians, and she even says she never thought that she would ever find herself dealing with Cardassians, especially not like this you know so it's clear that she's been rattled and feels she's being tested with her first this is going to be the first major political move of her office you know so she's she is trying to hedge her bets a bit um and it's also the first time that we get to see her, and we realize she is not Kai Opaka. Like you said, you know, she was with what's going on with Barile. You would have expected her to be more caring, more nurturing. That was Opaka. Yeah. Opaka was always about the person and taking care of you know their their themselves. Right. You know, so even when she tells Kara, Kira, wow, I can't believe I called her Kara. <laughs> um, you know, you have to be willing to understand yourself. You have to be willing to you know do that personal exploration before you could do anything else she was more interested in the person you know understanding themselves than anything else and that is not when when doesn't care she's very much a ends justify the means kind of person and even to the point where you know you pointed it out when you know beryl is struggling and he's in pain she turns to bashir and she's like he's clearly in pain give him more of the drug like she doesn't even hesitate she's just like yeah Give him more of the drug. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, get out. Yeah. Just get out. And Kira takes her out of yeah. there. But yeah. yeah, that's where her mindset is. She's very much a just very, you know, self serving. Right. What can I do to, you know, make this, you know, Working about me yeah. and, and work this all in my favor? And we see that. And I think that's the only consistent thing that we see mm-hmm. um, of this character development so far. Right. Nice to see her play kind of nice at first, but. She's Wynn, and she wasn't going to let that go. Right. You know, um, I think it's also fair to note that um, Louise Fletcher, who played Wynn, was actually quite ill during the filming of this episode. Oh, interesting. So much so, yeah, so much so that apparently she had to lie down a lot between oh, her takes. She she was not feeling well. They uh, they said that it was the flu. Um, but she was not feeling well at all, but she toughed it out. She made it through, although there are some directors who feel like they didn't get the old nastiness of of wind that they were used to from her during this because of her illness. I was like, I don't know. She's still pretty nasty. Yeah. But well, yeah, actually, I, I apparently she I think
1: that was... worked in the character's favor because <laughs> again, she comes off initially as kind of sweet now. Oh, I'm so happy mm. Virile can, you know, he, he helps me. He's so lovely and- but I need him to do this because I can't, and if he fails, then that makes me makes, makes me do a bit. you know it's great. Um, and I, once again, I think this is something we've already talked about multiple times. But Bashir shines mm. as a doctor.
0: Though yes, he does he have does. a
1: flawed moment when he goes to Kai Win and says, "I want you to lie in order for him to not keep doing this and push himself to the point of death." Unfortunately, I feel like that was the letdown for the character. I mean, I understand that the point is supposed to be that he's a doctor. Like, I'm a doctor first. I'm not a Starfleet officer first. I'm a doctor first because Kai Wynn says that is not very Starfleet of you because I'm a doctor first. So I care about my individual patient. I don't necessarily care about the larger implications. I'm focused on my job mm-hmm. as patient-doctor relationship. Um, and so there are moments where he shines, but I also felt like that one scene where he's like, I want you to lie. Like, we understand what he's trying to say, but I, I feel like his, his attempt to convince her was flawed. Like, not only is she just be a religious figure... I mean, we know that she's devious, and therefore she's not going to necessarily... She, like, she's willing to lie if necessary. But I felt like it, the, the, Bashir as a character, as a man, should have something better to, to say to her of, like, look, you're or- the Kai. Like, do you not trust the prophets? Like, he could appeal to her religion. Do you not trust the prophets will lead you through this? You You wanted this position. It's to you. You... You have to push. You have to take this to the final. Uh, you have to take it to the goal line. Or you know, it's not the proper analogy for a for a Bajoran, but you know what I mean.
0: So you would rather he manipulate her via the religious angle than for her to just outright lie to Barrayar to save his
1: I I, wife? I think the challenge of prove your belief. Is better than
0: Uh-oh. lie.
1: Prove that you that you. I mean, if if she kept saying like she says to to Cisco the emissary, um, I know the prophets chose me for something great. Like, okay, prove it. <laughs> uh, okay, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> and you notice
0: you notice that Cisco Cisco doesn't counter her in that situation in that scene. He does not yeah. say no, they didn't, or yes, they did, or anything. He just he's just quiet and lets her kind of yeah move through and then he's like, Yeah, you're gonna have to do this without Buryal though, because he's dying. Um now I know that you said it was a bit of a flaw on Bashir's part to go to her and say that. Um I think that it fits perfectly with his character it though. Does. I mean because what we've talked about so much with Bashir that we've seen is how much he Really does care about the people around him and the people that he ends up having to, you know, help in any regard. And he throws himself a hundred percent into it every single time and without hesitation. And I think that that is totally in keeping here because he went in there to speak to her and he he didn't care about anything else. He wasn't trying to do anything else. He was like, this is what I need you to do. And he was like, just right to the point. It wasn't about persuading her. It wasn't about anything else. It was like, here's what needs to happen in order for my patient to have the best chance of survival. And you're going to do it. And that's kind of how he presented everything to her. It's that kind of, again, just throwing everything. He is right there. Full display. He doesn't care. Um, I, I thought that that, was perfectly aligned with his his character. I understand what you're saying and that he could have maybe been a bit more sly or worldly and, you know, kind of appeal more to who Wynn is to get her to do what he wants. But that's just not who Bashir is. That's never really been who he is. That would be something that, you know, I'd kind of expect that more from Cisco of anybody. if, If that's what was required, I would expect Cisco to kind of leverage things that way, but not, Bashir yeah my so that's my point is not that
1: the character was betrayed by the moment in the sense of the writing I just mean that I'm disappointed that the character would take that route I think he knew it was a is a his attempt wasn't going to really be successful therefore saying I want you to tell a lie even a white lie is a mistake if frankly he should have said something like look the guy is on his deathbed I can't save him I can't Bring him back. I, we need to. You need to do this. Like you can't come in here anymore and and pester him with questions. You've had your chance to ask as many questions as possible. You have to see this through. And actually, part of the reason I think that would have been better in some ways is it would have pushed the character of win to to grow. But she's a villain, not a hero in our story. She's not a protagonist. Mm-hmm. So her growing as a character is actually not what we would expect or even want uh, per se. Uh, we expect her to fall back on her old devious behaviors, not grow as a person. So it does make sense. I, I, again, I'm not saying that the character was de- betrayed by the by the role or by the, the the part, but as much as like, I wish the character himself had been a little more. I don't know. Just it had to I, with a better. I, way to say, yeah.
0: You know? I wish that they'd kind of fallen in line with other, you know, Trek. Tropes, I guess, and doing the whole where the doctor just unilaterally decides yes. this is what we're going to do, and yes. doesn't and doesn't necessarily tell anybody until it's too late. Dr. And then its Doctor Crusher
1: life. would have and, told, right?
0: Exactly. Well, and that's what it would have turned out. You know, Picard wagging his finger at Doctor Crusher, or even you know, going all the way back to you know the original series, Kirk kind of confronting McCoy after the fact, and being like, "You, you lied, you tricked me," and, and McCoy just kind of being you know, irascible and old world charming and being like, look, I did what I thought was best and you can, right? you know, kick rocks. I don't care. Right. You know, I'm going to do what I want. But, and that's kind of how they worked out their friendship yeah. as well. But in this instance, I feel like Bashir was sticking so hard to trying to be this, Impeccable kind of doctor that rather than impugn his own morals and do this behind Kira's back, behind Kai's back, behind Cisco's back, he wanted Kai win to be the one who told the lie. Right. He could have just as easily said, Look, there's no more drug, there's no more surgery, I can't do this, he's going to or die. To put and then him just under an
1: it. artificial coma of some kind and been like, Oh, right. and so, just knocked him out yeah. and been
0: like, Yeah. He took a turn for the work. She's in a coma. You're going to have to do these negotiations without yeah. him. Make her rely on Cisco instead yeah. to help her through the negotiations. And then when the negotiations are over and she's all, oh, I, you know, I did do it and all that kind of stuff in walks Barrio fully cured and ready to go. <laughs> and they're all shocked and being like, what happened? He's like, well, I knew you were going to let him get the rest that he needed. So I turned his brain off and did what I needed to do. you like, they could have done that, but <laughs> You know, and that's and that's totally in keeping with Star Trek tropes of just you know making them think the person is dead or missing or otherwise unavailable, and forcing the character to grow, as you said, and realize, hey, I had it in me to do this all along. And then in comes the other person to congratulate them and so forth. Been done plenty of times in Trek, but nope, not this time. And it was you know again, it served its purpose because we needed. Beryl to die here, or I guess, I don't know if we needed him to die, but for the story they wanted to tell, he had to die, and then it also kind of puts us back on a more adversarial tone with Wynn, you know, because she was pushing so hard and we lost somebody who was more of a favorite, obviously, to the crew than she was, and And now we've kind of lost that break right, because he was, because even even as much as we didn't know about him, he was kind of serving to bridge that gap between the DS9 crew and Kai Win. Right. He was their go-between. They would choose to meet with him to intercede for them than, than anything else. Now, they don't have that anymore. Yeah. So now, everything going forward dealing with Bajor and the um, the leadership of Bajor is going to go through Kai Win. Right. And now that even Dr. Bashir is not a fan, and Kira just lost the one she loves because of her, and we know that she's never really accepted Ben, you think this is going to go well? You think this is going to be easy? Yeah. No. (laughs) No. So they've given us a lot here. Given us a lot here.
1: Bye, Marile. Well. We
0: don't need you anymore, but your character did a lot of great things in the very final episode. Bye. You, you, <laughs> you, you up, were finally worth yeah, something. You, set up right. a lot of great you were finally the worth future. something.
1: Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: Well, so any final thoughts? We talked about a lot of stuff. We've gone from the Expanse to the West Wing yeah. and back again. Um, any final thoughts on this episode that's given us so much here. Surprisingly given us so much.
1: Yeah. I uh, never cared for the character Barile all that much. Felt he was a flawed character. It is this last episode of his that he finally got to his best chance to shine, but I'm not going to be terribly disappointed that he doesn't come back. <laughs>
0: so. I'm I'm going to say the same. I'm also going to have to give a shout out to, uh, you know, Jake's clothes once oh, again, man. because woo-hoo, they woo-hoo. are, they are obvious fashion disasters. I don't know where they got that stuff from. I've never seen, I've never seen that color <laughs> ever.
1: <laughs> Way to um, not be, uh, so I'm gonna, make you not happy and anticipating the future. Way to like, you make you go, uh, right, maybe
0: Not. Maybe right. Not. <laughs> I mean, just, just absolutely awful. um, his new choice in relationships, Leanne, seems quite promising. I think that you're right. She's a much better fit for him than uh, Marta was. Um, but we'll see. Will Marta come back? Will this little thing with Leanne work out? Who knows? Um, and continue to watch Nog's growth and what surprises are in store for us there. Okay. But, yeah. Um before we wrap up, I do want to just remind everybody that we are going to be doing a couple of special things for Thanksgiving. I have my Handy Dandy Trusty um Star Trek cookbook. I have been researching everything out of here. I bought a bunch of stuff today to get ready for it. So nice. next week, I will be doing a couple of quick quick videos on YouTube of the different things that I make from here. So if you're interested at all, be sure to tune in for that. I will be posted links to it on facebook and um you know youtube and twitter and so forth so you can find us there um other than that we will see you guys next time and until then take care of yourselves thanks guys